Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. Revelation 2, 8 to 11. We're working through uh, the first three chapters of Revelation. And uh, we've done uh, one, the first church of the seven. So there are seven churches. There are actually more than seven in the, in the region, but John prompted by the Holy Spirit, chose seven that he wanted to speak to in this, and the Holy Spirit gave him uh, visions of what he was to say. And um, seven is a uh, revelation uses lots of symbolism. It was a time of, um, of trouble and persecution, so there's kind of secret language going on, and including numbers. And uh, seven is a number of completion. So it means... Um, it's not just they are real churches in real places, um, but, it's, but it speaks wider than that and even speaks to us today. And so today's church is a church at Smyrna. And it's one of only two where there's no criticism by Jesus of anything about Smyrna. There's no criticism. And, but that's not to say it was great at Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna. In, in fact, it was terrible. They were afflicted with poverty and trouble and, and attacks. And it, it wasn't over. Actually, there was more to come. More to come. Huge pain at the church at Smyrna. And, and, and how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that when you're getting smashed and it's actually not really your fault? How do you deal with that? One of the most famous martyrs of the church at Smyrna was a man by the name of Polycarp. We'll show his, his uh, uh, picture here. was the bishop of Smyrna. He died about the middle of the second century. He was about 50 years, actually, after Revelation was written. He was a disciple of, of John, the writer of Revelation. This is the story of his martyrdom. And it's actually the first uh, written account of a martyrdom outside of the Bible. Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna, which meant he was an overall in charge of the churches of that area. He personally knew John the Apostle. He'd sat at his feet as a young boy. Imagine that. Sitting at the feet of uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. And Polycarp, he grew up. He was a child. Uh, he, was a, he was a slave. Um, his mum's name, we think, was Callisto, who taught him to, uh, to love the scriptures, to memorize the scriptures, to pray. And he was uh, led into faith and baptism by his mum. And Polycarp, as an old man, was martyred. He was in his late 80s or, or 90s. His friends were aware that he was in danger and they took him off out into the country a little bit to a country house, but still the Roman soldiers came and got him. Uh, he was um, upstairs resting, they say, and uh, he came down. The soldiers were there and he, what he said, please um, set the table and I want, and I want to um, provide you with food. This is to his soldiers, the soldiers that were going to take him to his death. And he provided them with food and drink. He says, please eat and drink as much as you can. And then he says, um, 
can I just pray for one hour before you take me? In fact, he prayed for two hours. He stood up and they say he just prayed nonstop, um, blessing every single person that he had met, small or great, in his life. And he just prayed and blessed them. And then he said, um, come and do what you must do. And um, they say the soldiers really regretted that uh, they had to be part of this, of taking this great man <laughs> to his death. So they took him. Uh, Smyrna actually had an um, arena for Roman games. And they would, uh, in the afternoon, that was kind of the, the prime thing, was the gladiators. In the morning, they would, ha- they would fight the wild animals. But in the middle of the day, they would execute criminals, which uh, included Christians because they were atheists. They would not worship the Roman gods or the Roman emperor. And so uh, Polycarp was taken to the arena, and they say um, Jews uh, were, uh, were included in those that went out, even though it was a Sabbath, went out and got firewood to help in uh, his burning. So he was burnt to death. But uh, didn't totally finish off him off, um, and so they... Uh, a a Roman soldier was asked, the executioner was asked to stab him, to finish him off. He was 86 years old. Um, Just before his death, the proconsul asked, said to Polycarp, take the the oath, I will let you go. Just revile Christ. Polycarp answered, "For for 86 years, I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. And how am I to now blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul replied, I'll have you burned alive if you don't change your mind. Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire that burns for a short time and is soon quenched. You don't know about the fire of the coming judgment. An eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. The wood was lit, the fire itself was not enough to kill him, so the executioner was called to stab him with a dagger and finish the job. Um, uh, Believers came and got the bones, and they would gather each day on the day of his death. But they they called it his birthday. That's the story of Polycarp died around A.D. 156. Let's now read the scripture. Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, this is 50 years prior. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know, I know, I know, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life. 
as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So how do you cope with the pain? How do you, how do you handle that? And the answer is here. Partly, partly is here. And it's repeated. I know, says Jesus. I know, I know. I know, says Jesus. Jesus knows. He knows. He knows about your pain. He knows about your pain, Dory. He knows. He knows. Smyrna uh, still exists today. It's now called Isma. At the time of the writing, it was about population of about 200,000. Nowadays, it's 3 million. It's the third largest city in Turkey. Had a long and famous history. Was right on the coast, possessed a very deep and useful harbour which allowed the trading ships to come sail right into the city. Had it, be, it had been invaded and destroyed in about BC 580. But raised back to life through the idea of Alexander the Great about 300 years later. So it had died and had been raised again as a city. Smyrna was one of the first of the Asia Minor cities to begin Roman emperor worship and won the right to erect a temple at the time of Tiberius, Emperor Tiberius. Smyrna also had a Jewish population. And the Jews, at that time, they had a dispensation where they did not have uh, to worship the emperors. Smyrna was well known for its games, and so victory wreaths of victorious athletes. Everyone would have known that, what that looked like, what that meant. Uh, As a symbol of victory, many writers commented on the beauty of the town. Beautiful harbour, and then it had um, very high hills up above it. Had a, a fortified um, a citadel for the troops. But in the days of John the Apostle, while he was exiled just off the coast, down down a bit, just off the coast of Ephesus, in an island, on an island called Patmos. At that time, it was tough to be a Christian at Smyrna. Very, very difficult. And Jesus says, I know what pain feels like. Verse 8. The one who died and came to life again. Jesus died a horrible death. He knew what pain felt like. To this day, it's one of the most excruciating Ways to die, ways to kill someone the world has ever known. Crucifixion. Jesus says, I know what it feels like to endure pain. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend, by someone who walked with him, ate with him, drunk with him, and betrayed him with a kiss. And those who'd been set aside the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the descendants, 
those you'd think would be most interested in the ongoing work of God turned against him. You know, pain is not theoretical for Jesus. He knows what it feels like. Jesus knows. He knows what pain feels like. That's the first thing. The second thing, Jesus knows what has gone on and is going on even now. Jesus knows about the trouble, the poverty, the persecution, the hate the church at Smyrna had endured and continue to endure. The affliction, the poverty, the pain, the slander. Slander, what's slander? Slander is making false and damaging claims about someone's action and character. It really hurts, actually, slander. We were at a vineyard conference a couple of years ago and Carol Wimber was there and Carol was the <clears throat> she's a widow of the late John Wimber who, who started the Vineyard Church movement and she said the hardest thing was the slander the lies of what they said about her husband who was a beautiful humble man really intelligent really lovely um you know, he used to say things like, oh, I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. <laughs> and she said, the constant slander, that was, the, that was the hardest thing to handle. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Slander of the early Christians uh, said came in six, six main claims. Uh, the slander said they, they were cannibals said they are uh, immorality, practiced immorality, said they broke up homes for uh, they were atheists because they would not worship the Roman gods, said they were politically disloyal and that they were arsonists. The persecution and poverty may well have led, uh, may, may have been tied up together. Smyrna had been quite an early and enthusiastic adopter of emperor worship. They had applied to Rome and they won the right to erect a temple. There are ten cities that applied for the right and Smyrna won it to erect a temple in 23 BC in the honor of Emperor Tiberius. They're proud of that. The city, and so the city would not look favorably on Christians who would not worship the emperor. They'd only worship God through Jesus. Hebrews 10.34 references the possible loss of possessions of Christians, which had been the case at Smyrna. It might have been due to um, looting and mob violence. And not all the trouble was coming from the pagans. Some of, at least of it, was coming from the Jews. Uh, well, they were Jews racially, but not really. Jews racially, but not really. How does that work? You know, a Jew... They were kind of Jews in the biological sense of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, hey, but not according to the Bible. Verse 9 says this. Here are those that say they are Jews, but are not. They say they're Jews, but they're not. They're not actually obeying God. They're in exact opposition to what God is wanting to do. So they say they're Jews, but are not. Not God fearers, not God chasers, but accusers of those who love God. Revelation 12.10 talks of Satan 
who accuses the believers. And that is why the description is the synagogue of Satan. The hard thing, the difficult thing, was that it was due to no fault of theirs, the Christians at Smyrna, well, they were getting hammered. They were getting hammered, smashed. And the church of Smyrna was in no need of major correction. They weren't doing anything wrong. But they were still getting hammered, still suffering. Their suffering was not divine punishment, was not a consequence of any wrong behavior. It was just, it was just happening. But nowhere does the New Testament promise freedom from suffering. The Bible does not promise that, that we will be free from suffering. Jesus predicted to his disciples, John 16 verse 2, people will kill you and thinking they are doing God a favor. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas ministering in the town of Lystra and Paul was... um, stones, threw stones at him almost to death. And they said this, Acts 14.22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Did you hear that? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Romans 8 Verse 18, Paul says, I don't consider the sufferings of this present time with the glory that will be revealed to us. Jesus is aware of the unmerited suffering they are undergoing and have undergone. Jesus knows what pain feels like. Jesus knows what has gone on and what is going on. And thirdly, Jesus knows what is to come. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. To suffer, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Amen. It's interesting how often, you know, how often God reveals something unpleasant that is to come. Um, it's, it's kind of helpful to have that warning. It's like a heads up. Genesis 15. God says to Abraham, know this, Abraham, your descendants will be strangers, oppressed slaves for 400 years. Acts 21. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt took his own hands and feet with it and says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish elders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Luke 10 verse 10, Jesus said to the 72 evangelists as he sent them out saying amongst other things, when you go to a town and are not welcomed, and are not welcomed, not everyone will clap in every town that you go to. Jesus said that. And here in Revelation 2 verse 10, it won't be nice, it won't be nice, but it won't be forever. It won't be nice, but it won't be forever. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Some will be put in prison and some will suffer persecution. 
in what is to come. Mm. Uh, um, you know, another, another example of a heads up, we had a colleague in Africa, and a fantastic guy, uh, Englishman, really, really tall, Ooh, about 6'4", and, and he worked for another mission, and he had, um, he's a great guy, and he had this project he was working on. He was trying to get a radio station up and running that would uh, use for Fuldi, um the, the language people were uh, working amongst. So he was trying to get this project up and running, and doing anything in that part of the world can be really challenging in terms of corruption and different things. And uh, so we'd pray for it, we'd encourage him, and he was going for it. He was doing all the right things. And one day, Shah actually had a, a dream of him. And he was in the swimming pool. And he was trying to get down to the bottom of the pool. And he couldn't. <laughs> and he got really embarrassed. And so we'd have a Friday prayer meeting. And she said, I've had this dream. And he said, oh, well, as, as a um, teenager, he's really tall and really skinny. He says, I, I was embarrassed at school in the swimming pool because... Um, for some reason, he, he couldn't dive down. He's too buoyant. And um, Shah knew what it meant. <laughs> she didn't want to tell him, you're going to get embarrassed by this project. It's not going to happen. And it fell over. It didn't happen. And in the end, it worked out really well in that he was able to produce the material, he record it, and give it to um, other another station in town and they would play it. So he didn't actually have to run a radio station. All he had to do was produce scripture and sermons and things. And the other station, it was incredible, they would play it for him. Um, So sometimes God will give us warnings of bad stuff that's about to happen. Right? Doesn't mean he's going to take it away. Doesn't always take it away, but sometimes he'll give us warnings. And why, why is that? Why is that? And it's, I think it's like sometimes when you, you know, you've got to make a jump or something and you can prepare yourself, like your, your legs or whatever, so that it's, uh, you land in a better way than if you're just pushed off and oh, uh, fall over like that. And the thing is, is it's, it's not just people being nasty. It's not just people It's more than that. Verse 10. It is from the devil. The devil might use people, sure, but ultimately it's not flesh and blood that we fight against. Behind the opposition is the devil, Satan. You know, and that can help us uh, in our handling of that, in our grace. You know, whoa, that's, that's nasty. But it's more than nasty, it's wicked. The devil is behind it. And some, you know, sometimes people will, for whatever reason, allow themselves to be pawns of something. And that's why people, sometimes people can be such dipsticks that they just they don't realize uh, the pawns in a way bigger game, a spiritual battle that they're not fully aware of. But that can help us, you know. Well, I know who's ultimately behind this. It won't be nice, but it won't be forever. 2 verse 10. Some some will be put in prison and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. 
for 10 days. Not forever, for 10 days. Like many of the numbers and images of Revelation are symbolic of, a, of something. And 10 days means it's not forever, but it's for a time. And it's a short time, like we'll say uh, a week or so. Verse 10, but be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Amen? Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And this is how it ends, friends. This is how it ends, on the podium, on the podium. And it's not bronze, it's not silver, it's gold. Getting the wreath of victory. Death is not the end for the faithful ones. Don't forget verse 8, the example of Jesus. The first and the last who died but rose again and is victorious. Te tuatahi a te whakamutanga i mate nei a kua ora anō. Death brings them through into the victory uh, procession and the reef of victory is put on their heads and it lasts forever and ever and ever. And you can hold on to that. You can hold on that. That, that can help you with your pain of now and what is to come. Because we know how it ends, faithful ones. We know how it ends. Uh, second death is outlined in, in later in Revelation. But the, but the victory wreath lasts forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Um, if you're going through some pain at the moment, people here would love to pay, to pray for you. I'd love to do that. Anything else? People love to pray for you. Can we, would it be okay to pray, um, play that uh, song again, that last one? Um, Brooke Fraser, daughter of Bernie from Wellington, Hut Valley, Nai Nai. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You, yeah, um, you know. You know, you know about pain. You're not, um, it's not theoretical for you. You've, you've been there in a way most of us will never know. But you know, and you've been right the way through it, and you've been raised victorious. And you know what is, you know what is to come. We thank you for that, your promises of victory in the end, on the podium, the reef. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, um, I pray for my friends here that you'd keep ministering to them and the different pains in life they go through. You'd uh, bless them, even today, even this week, even this year. Amen.